What's up, everybody? Welcome to a midweek update for the Green Bay Packers. Not going to lie, been an awfully quiet week. We've heard from Matt LaFleur a sparingly small amount to this point. I mean, the game is on Monday nights. They were able to kind of back up the players off day and everything this week. So uh, very, very quiet on the Packers front. No even real injury updates or limiteds or did not practices or anything like that really to offer today. But nonetheless, thought I would still hop on here, see what people have to say, see what people are thinking about the Green Bay Packers on this nice Wednesday afternoon. Uh, on Friday coming up, that's going to be the game preview against the Giants. So make sure you check that out. Um, but other than that, I thought that I would call off a few interesting little tidbits about Jordan Love. Now, for frequent followers of the channel, you know, earlier today, I did an appearance for Bleacher Report, held a stream for them. And the question of the day was, what is Jordan Love's ceiling? And I, in researching that, I thought that I came across a couple stats that were pretty pertinent for all Packer fans. And so I thought I would just share them here as well. First, uh, Jordan Love has had four different iterations this season of three touchdowns and no interceptions. And he is tied with the uh, league leader in that regard. He's tied for the league lead with Brock Purdy with doing that four times. For a player to do that four times within their first 13 starts, Jordan Love is only the second guy to ever do that since 1950. That's a pretty cool stat. That came straight from the Packers on their dope sheet. Anytime you get a quarterback doing something for the first time since 1950, that's a pretty good metric to have. Tells you, tells you he's doing pretty well. Uh, other than that, I also talked about in terms of like Pro Bowl season accolades, is Jordan Love getting close to some of those things? And well, for one, yeah, actually, in terms of like a Pro Bowl regard, I think he's getting pretty close. Really, in the NFC, who's he behind yet? Dak? Purdy? Hurts? And then maybe Goff? Maybe? I don't know. So either way, Jordan Love for sure is about in the top five now for the NFC and, and beginning to get closer and closer to whether we have to actually consider that he might make his Pro Bowl in his first year starting. So anyone out there, let me know how you're doing today. Let me know if you got any questions. I will hang out here for a little bit. Like I said, not a ton today since it is Monday Night Football. The Packers are able to back up their schedule, which, of course, leaves not a lot going on. So, Chris, hello to you. How you doing, my friend? Good to see you here. Um, in terms of anything else, if you're looking ahead at the Giants game coming up, I've seen some sentiment out there that the Giants may be a bit of a trap game. Coming off of two straight wins themselves, their defense held the Patriots to only seven points in their last game, coming off of a nice decisive victory against the Commanders the week before that. And they're fresh off of their bye from this last week. So should we be revering the Giants as a potential trap game for the Green Bay Packers? The very simple answer is, Lord, I hope not. <laughs> like, in spite of those two wins for the Giants, doubling their win total in the last two weeks, it is still not a team that has done great things really at any point this year. With Tommy DeVito leading the charge, they're dead last in passing yards per game. Even with Saquon Barkley at running back, their rushing yards per game leaves a lot to be desired defensively. Like, I know Wink Martindale was considered to have a very strongly called game against the Patriots, but like, it's the Patriots offense, which hasn't done much this year. 
So I'm not looking to minimize this by any stretch. It is a team coming off of two straight wins and their bye week, but like it's rough. The Giants have by far the worst offensive line in the NFL. Uh, Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark, especially with the way those two are playing, should be able to feast on that defense or on that offensive line. So, yeah. All right, Chris, what do you got for me? This week has truly been a negative, no negative week. Dropping a cup of coffee. Oh, no. But wait, we beat KC. Hitting your toe on something and it hurts. But wait, we beat the Chiefs. Yeah, right? It's the great neutralizer. Exactly. Like, anything bad this week, just it's a victory week. That's what we get to live in, especially with this delay. Like, Packers aren't even back at doing stuff yet, really. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I will say, though, I you know, on the watch party, I announced... Uh, or I at least talked about the Packers doing a Salvation Army benefit signing on Monday night. I did go to that. That did not go according to plan. It was supposed to be Jair, Watson, uh, Dobbs, and then Quay Walker, and only Dobbs showed up. Like, it was rough go this week. That was my negative. And OG man saying, yes, please let these guys feast on that O-line. And, I mean, they should, right? Like, that's... I feel like that's a baseline expectation going against the Giants. Now, their line is, at least personnel-wise, you think it's doing better than it was earlier in the year because they got a few guys back from injury, but it is not shaping out that way in terms of how they're playing. If anything, the Giants' line is continuing to get worse. And, and Tommy DeVito is, you know, it's either like quick passes for him or run for his life and chuck it style passes have been the only way that he's been successful so far, but dead last in passing yards per game for the New York Giants. Of course, the Packers top 10 in passing yards allowed per game. They should match up very, very well. The one concern against the Giants offense would be Saquon Barkley, right? I mean, a massively talented player, but even he hasn't been putting up the stats of old behind that offensive line. So this could it be a trap game? Yes, the other guys get paid too. But it uh, should be a win for the Packers. Luke, how you doing, man? Luke's here. He says, the thing that makes me think we won't play down to our competition is how we played against a bad Rams team. Never took our foot off the gas, and Lafleur had some of his best play calls of the year. That is truly encouraging, and that's a really valid point, especially when the Packers were going against the Rams. The Rams have been on a little bit of a hot streak lately, like the Packers, but especially when they were going against them. Brett Rippon was a quarterback. And I will say, too, for the most part, over the course of the last five weeks, Lafleur has again began to embody his uh, all-gas-no-break mantra. And it's been very encouraging to see. It's only been little lapses here and there that I felt like he's really taken it off. But I think that that's a really good point, Luke. And and something that the Packers should be keeping in mind. Like, it's okay to beat the Giants 40 to 10. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But, like, if you find yourself in that situation, go for the jugular. Go for domination. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't walk in knowing you're going to win. But the Packers should should have this game. Chris Hand, uh, I got to citate. Oh, got oh an invitation to the Panthers game on Christmas Eve. I said no. Then I started thinking. Then I asked who was playing. She said the Packers. My jaw dropped. I might be going to my first Green Bay game in North Carolina, dude. That's awesome. That's awesome. I hope you have a fantastic time, man. If you're able to go, um, that would be really cool. And especially against Carolina, wonderful matchup to go see. 
Uh, Grego, hello to you. How do you feel about possibility of Green Bay winning out and Lions dropping games to the Bears, one to the Vikings and Cowboys? Whew. Uh, so Packers winning out and then the Lions dropping. I mean, the Packers winning out, I would say, is possible, not likely. I mean, look, they may be favored in every single game remaining on their schedule. I mean, the only real concerns there are probably the Bucks and the Vikings. But I just think, like, we'd be entering the playoffs then on a eight-game winning streak. Like, that's momentously even longer than run the table. I think inevitably something will occur over these last five games. The Packers will drop one. And it'll probably be a game that they're favored in. But I do see one loss coming for Green Bay. As for Detroit. I don't think Detroit, it, it, it's kind of given the appearance as though they've been slowly like unraveling since that Green Bay game, but I don't think that that's where they truly are. I think a rebound is coming for Detroit. So like, I don't, I don't especially don't see them losing to the Bears. And I also don't really see them losing to the Vikings. Might Detroit lose to the Cowboys? That's very possible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can go with that for sure. Um, but ultimately, I think Green Bay, right now, it's easy to project Green Bay into the playoffs as a wild card. Detroit probably still has the NFC North crown, though. But hey, if it happens, I'm not upset. Peter, bonjour, my friend. How are you? Uh, Kenyon Drake's addition could be an intriguing and quite interesting option for Matt LaFleur's playbook. I agree with you 100%. It is super interesting. I don't... Um, I don't want to like overestimate or get overexcited because at the end of the day, like he was signed to the practice squad. Right. And I do like this signing for the offense a lot more than I like James Robinson and everything that we had heard of Robinson, you know, coming into this year, et cetera, et cetera. I think Kenyon Drake offers a very unique trait that no other running back in Green Bay has. Of course, Aaron Jones is a competent receiver. But Kenyon Drake is even kind of on another level in that regard. And I agree. I think that could be a very interesting wrinkle utilized the Matt LaFleur's playbook. Now, before we even get to that, Kenyon Drake's got to get up to speed. He actually has to get active in a game, etc. Like he is just on the practice squad. So I thinking about the potential of what could be, yes, is exciting. But maybe we got to taper it a little bit just because it may be a little bit of time before we see him back. And Maybe by the time he's ready to go, Aaron Jones is back, in which case then they're kind of redundant. I doubt Drake sees the field. So definitely things to keep in mind there. But I agree the potential. It's there. It's there. And Commando G-Man, no losses. Blue face, blue smiling. See, you know, with my software, like I don't I don't see all the emojis from everywhere. But uh, no losses would be ideal. That's for sure. Chris asking any news on Stokes. Don't mean to bring up old newspaper. Um, so Stokes. He, he, like his 21 day window is open. He's gotten in some limited work. Gotta believe he's getting close. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if when they actually start practicing this week, would not be shocked at all to see a couple more like limiteds out of Stokes and then maybe like one more inactive game. Or he's truly ready to go. But the last time we heard a report on Stokes, Lafleur said that they were going to be very intentional 
and purposeful in bringing him back, given what his health has been over the last 18 months. And I think that that's a really good idea, because if I'm being totally honest, it feels an awful lot like the Packers screwed up his first comeback of the year. Like you took a guy who had all these massive leg injuries and a pulled hamstring, and then you stuck him on as a flyer on teams to just go all out sprint for four snaps, then his hamstring snapped on him. Like it's just felt like very poor personnel management there, given what Stokes' background is. And I think what Lafleur is saying is, this time we're not going to rush it. We are going to be purposeful with him, making sure that he's doing things that are intelligent for where he is at health wise. So it wouldn't shock me if he's got one more week. And then comes back as his window really begins to come to a close there. Don, hey, Don, how you doing? Any Christian Watson, Jair news? See, nada. And that's the that's the thing. Like with the game being on Monday night, the whole schedule's backed up this week. Uh, we are not going to hear from Lafleur really until the first time tomorrow, which is quite odd. Um, but Watson, by all accounts, did seem after the game. Now, he was elated because of the upset. But he did seem after the game rather nonchalant about his hamstring injury. Lafleur was quoted as saying that he hopes that it's not a long absence for Watson. You would think if it's something tremendously severe, you'd even in the midst of an upset win, huge win in the locker room, you still would get some kind of vibe that it's not great. So I'm at least going to take all of those things, reading some tea leaves as a positive indication. Jair, Don, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. None. Like it could be his back continues to lock up on him. Maybe it's the shoulder thing. Like we just don't know. And, and this is really a pet peeve of mine when it comes to the Packers. I, I understand the Packers safeguarding injury details, right? Like I, I get that. Plus, it's not necessarily their information to reveal. They showed that at times with Bakhtiari when the Fleur or Goot would say, We're gonna let Dave speak to that. Okay. Like I, I get it. But I also feel as though this lack of transparency when it comes to chronic injuries, what they wind up doing is damaging a player's reputation beyond like what people just want the guys to play. And it's so frustrating from the fan standpoint, when you see a guy do two limited practices and then all of a sudden be inactive on Sunday. And then to do that week after week, it's like, well, if he can practice, why can't he play? And so like, I, I get both sides there. I think the Packers could do a lot of people some favors by at least opening a little door of transparency into what is going on with Jair. But to answer your question directly, nah, Nobody knows because nobody's talking. So I do know Jair was supposed to be in the Lambo atrium on Monday night signing autographs, and instead he had an appointment. That's all I can tell you. That is legitimately all I know. <laughs> Chris, when they showed the celebration video in the Packers locker room over KC, it showed Stokes in the background and he looked pissed. Oh, I didn't see that. I watched some videos from the locker room, but I didn't see Stokes. My experience with Stokes is he's a pretty happy dude. I've met him a couple times, and he always seems pretty pretty jovial. So, I don't know. Maybe he was hurting. I don't know. Peter, maybe Kenyon Drake could be ready to play in a couple of weeks and be an interesting option for Matt LaFleur against the Vikings and the Bears. It's certainly possible. And Kenyon Drake is, you know, he's a veteran presence. It realistically should not take long for Kenyon Drake to pick up on the playbook. Like, it, it really shouldn't. Might he be ready this like coming Monday? 
Maybe, but that may still be pushing it. But he's a vet who's played in similar systems, you know, and his role will be fairly limited no matter what. I mean, let's say hypothetically he's elevated for Monday. He's he's on the active game roster. Well, your, your running back is still A.J. Dillon, Patrick Taylor, and then Kenyon Drake, who would be used on some kind of special packages, right? So th- the optimism is there that Drake could get in the lineup fairly quickly if he's elevated. But you're right, like maybe further down the line when Aaron Jones is back, when they feel like they've got their full complement of running backs, maybe then they put Drake on the 53 and keep those specialized packages going. But I'm 100% with you. The potential for a special Drake package, the potential for Drake to do cool things out of the backfield is certainly there in Matt LaFleur's offense. And it is very exciting to think about. It's just when we'll see it is kind of the, the question at this point. Chris, hopefully his excitement didn't go gas while he was standing in the locker room. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm just, I didn't see him there. So Peter Jayers, huge mystery this season, even when he was able to play. Remember that weird interview a couple weeks ago? Jair has just, like, I mean, look, Jair's always like a little bit of a weird duck. He always has been. He's always... Move to the beat of his own drum. He's his own drummer. But this year, and I'm, I keep in mind, like there's some recent thoughts going on too. The guy was an all pro last year. Like it, it, it feels almost like a Bakhtiari situation where it's like the Jair of days of old was so long ago. Like, no, dude was an all pro last year. And now this year, first it's like, he's not off to a great start against Atlanta. Then he winds up with the back injury, which back injuries suck and they're chronic and the best doctors in the world can't rebuild a back. So like, okay, I get it. Then all of a sudden he misses a couple of games to the back, comes back with the Rams, gets burned a couple times in the first half against the Rams. And then all of a sudden the second half, it's like, oh, Jair's back. Like we're, we're good. He got a game ball. It was great. And then it was revealed that he, that he hurt his shoulder and then since then silence like just radio silence even when the floor is asked about jair it generally is one of those classic lafleur dodges where he gets out of the question as quick as humanly possible and says yeah we don't really know much about that well you know more than us like so i i'm I'm with you, Peter. The whole situation is very, very weird. It is 1 million percent possible that he just has a chronic back injury and they're working on figuring out how to get it stable. Totally possible. It's just, we don't know. And it is very odd from outward appearances, but I don't think it's anything uh, devious. Let's say that. I don't, I don't think Jair, I mean, he said run the table a couple weeks ago. Like he said, we're going to win out. And so far he's been right. Um, just, I don't know. It's got a weird taste, but I doubt anything nefarious is going on. Chris, does Dylan playing now kind of uh, kind of give or not give Matt an idea about what to do with him? Oh, or is this process more of, hey, Dylan, go run. It's your job kind of thing. Or do you think Matt wants to keep 28? So, okay, a few things. One, I will say, um, like, let's say it this way. I think that they have found a better way to use Dylan in the last few weeks. 
especially in the first half, especially in the scripted first 15 of the game against Kansas City, Dylan was being used in a significantly more creative manner than weeks prior, especially when Dylan was going through that earlier season slump. A lot of the play calls for Dylan were very straightforward, classic halfback dives, halfback tosses type, right? Dylan started running better. And then the plays started getting more creative. And now we're seeing a productive version of A.J. Dillon, who isn't just grinding out tough yards. Sometimes he's really doing good work in the run game, assuming the blocking is competent in front of him. In terms of keeping him, I do think that there is great potential for the Packers to hang on to Dillon. I said all the way back in August that I was guessing that could very well be some kind of like Jamal Williams-esque contract something in like the three to $5 million range. They love AJ Dillon for what he does in the locker room. He is one of the team leaders. He's a culture guy that's valued. So I won't be shocked at all to see Dylan back next year, but could this also be a draft where Goot walks in and takes three running backs and says, gets a whole new running back room. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible too. Big B, how you doing, Big B? Nice to see you here. Sounds like someone needs to invade the Packers' privacy again for some changes. Big B, I cannot in any way, shape, or form condone that. But if you happen to get some intel, DM me, please. I would appreciate it. <laughs> nice to see you, Big B. Don, what do you think of Bach saying he wants to play for the Packers next year? I think he's, I think he's telling the truth. I do think Bakhtiari wants to come back for the Packers next year. Uh, that that tweet series was actually really neat to see where someone tweeted at him and said, man, we need you back next year with all this youth. Like you could be the steadying presence. He said, that's the plan. I, that was really cool to see. And even at his interview not too long ago, where he was talking about the, the massive scale of his injury and why his year is done and all that stuff. He struck me as a guy that very earnestly wanted to come back to Green Bay. I just, I don't buy the Jets stuff. Would he love to go play with Rodgers? Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't want to play with their friends. But I do think Bakhtiari likes playing in Green Bay. He likes the franchise. So um, I don't think it's totally possible. But there is a large but. And it ain't Bakhtiari's. It's just that contract. He's due to make a $40 million cap number next year. They can get 20 or they can get 19 open by cutting him. Something's got to get done there. For sure. Steve, how you doing, Steve? Sup, John? Sup, everyone? I've been watching videos on certain draft picks, and the dude I found to fit this defense in the first round is Cooper Dijon from Iowa. You know, as you know, Steve, I have not started draft prep, but I will tell you, Cooper Dijon is a name that I have seen from very intelligent draft people linked to Green Bay quite a few times already. So you may be onto something, Steve. But uh, yeah, when it gets to that point, I'm very excited to talk with you about uh, draft stuff. Chris, release the Kraken. Then I say, no, release the mighty Dylan. I hope he stays too. I only ask because of the talk of trade in the past. Yeah, you know, still, my take on that was when they were doing uh, very light negotiations with Jonathan Taylor on Jonathan Taylor. I believe Goot when he said too that like they were going to keep Dylan and Jones going there. I really believe that they were trying to acquire Taylor to be a third running back. We've seen third running back probably would have come in handy this year. So, yeah, like I, uh, I don't know. I, I understand the perspective that says Dylan's production is replaceable in the draft. Why are we going to pay $4 million a year 
to A.J. Dillon when we could just spend one of our myriad of picks, especially third to fifth round, go get another one. I get, But at the same time, there are some things that A.J. Dillon does that a rookie won't offer you. There are some things that are irreplaceable, like culture. And they already moved on from Azul, who was a culture guy. So all things to be weighed by Brian Gutekunst. But he, out of all the free agents on the team, A.J. Dillon is probably the number one guy that I look at and go, I wouldn't be shocked if he's gone, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's back. Anything might happen. I'm ready for either. Peter, I agree. Cooper DeJean will be a great addition to our defense since he can play cornerback and safety. Ooh, I like that. DeJean has it all to become a superstar, and he's a very good friend of Venice. Well, there you go. <laughs> that can't hurt. But uh, yeah, as you know, as I said, I haven't done draft prep, but someone who can play corner and safety, that is mighty intriguing for the Packers secondary needs, especially, I'll throw it out there too, and again, I'm speaking from ignorance here, especially if he could play the slot. Maybe he's a good fit for that, maybe he's not. But let me know what you guys think we've actually taken a look at him. I think uh, I, I could be on with that train, no doubt about it. Steve, what's anyone take with Aaron Jones next year? Is there a big cat pit with him? Could they keep Dylan and let Jones go? Well, okay, so Dylan is a free agent after the year. Aaron Jones is still under contract for one more year. Aaron Jones's cap number next year, I think, off the top of my head, I believe it balloons to $17 million. And he turns 30, I think, during the season. I saw a lot of money to a guy who's had an injury-riddled year, to a guy who's getting older, even if he is the definitive team captain. But again, something could happen with that contract. Just because, you know, a lot of times last year, we were sitting here talking about the same stuff, thinking like, Aaron Jones' contract goes up. He's going to be 29. He doesn't have a great injury history. Well, then it took a pay cut. They worked it out. Is it possible that Jones could go and Dylan be retained? Yes. Out of all the options on the table, though, that probably is the one that I like the least or believe might happen the least. Let's say that. Rocket knees, how you doing, bud? Uh, power of hindsight, I think I can understand why Jordan Love struggled. He was trying to play the QB position like Lafleur wanted. I believe he got more assertive in game plan meanings. Lafleur is trusting him. The wide receiver and tight end group getting used to how and where Jordan places the ball in certain situations. I think it was just chemistry. There are, you're definitely right. Like there was chemistry as a portion, but I will offer too that the play calling has evolved with the players in that the floor truly over the last couple of weeks has called, as Dan Orlovsky calls them, more LaFleurian play calls. He truly has laid into more of the things that are classic Lafleur versus weeks four through eight when the offense was a stagnant mess. Example, okay, I will just throw this out there. Earlier in the year, there were individual weeks where 12%, 15%, that kind of ballpark, those percentages of dropbacks for Jordan Love were play action. Now, over the last three weeks, this three-game winning streak, an average of 35% of Jordan Love's dropbacks are play action. That is a huge deviation from a play calling standpoint. And maybe deviation is not the right word. Maybe it's evolution is the right word. Because I think what happened was chemistry started building. More players gained competency just because they're young. They actually learned what they're supposed to do. Plus, trust started to come in and LeFleur adapted the play goal. And now we're seeing this offensive 
growth. I don't want to call it explosion because there's still so much more room to go for this offense. They're not the 2011 Packers yet. So what we're seeing is really like a, a mashing of all of the different elements of a team coming together. It's on to something special. Yes, good to see you too, Raganese. Peter, any chance to see Toure or Dubose play again this season? I, it ain't looking good. Uh, Toure has now been a healthy scratch for, off the top of my head, I think four weeks in a row, maybe three. But it is certain that Malik Heath has surpassed him on the depth chart. And I think it goes far beyond because sometimes those fringe bottom roster spots can be like matchup dependent. No, I think this is straight up Malik Heath past Toure on the depth chart. As for DuBose, I got to believe like he's, since he's not even on the 53, like he's even under Heath and Toure, like the likelihood from either, I would say, Probably not high, Peter. I think the Packers have their five red receivers that they are going to roll with for the duration of the year, assuming health. Uh, yeah, LeFleur is learning how to call a game for Jordan. He is not Aaron. You're right. Yeah, I think that's a big part. Like earlier in the, like, it's really hard to say because weeks one and two, it was like this, this hybrid offense. Then all of a sudden, like LeFleur fell back to, in some ways, a more simplistic offense but also in some ways more of like a McCarthy style offense that Rogers would employ where it was like, Hey, everybody just line up, go beat your man. And I'm going to throw it to who beat your man. Problem is that doesn't necessarily work for like this, where they are schematically maturity, etc. So as they've gained competency, Lafleur has adapted the play calling to now having evolved to something really I don't want to say unique, but something uh, vastly different than we saw earlier in the year. I think that's a big part. Chris, I saw Walker get physical again after plays versus KC. I will admit, I love his attitude and aggressiveness. I won't say nothing if you won't. Go get him, number seven, but during the play. Yeah, Quake, like he's not playing as impactful as he was earlier in the year, but I'm, Quay is doing a great job in the middle of the defense. There's no doubt about it. Um, he is still to this point in the year, one of the Packers sturdiest tacklers A missed tackle rate. I think is still under 10%. One of only a few Packers who can make that claim. It's basically he and Campbell and then Rudy forward when he plays with that injury kind of screwed up his staff numbers, but yeah, uh, Quay Walker's having a great, great year. The next thing for Quay Walker is taking that next step because he's, you know, last year it was, here's the athleticism. Dude tackles pretty well. Oh my goodness, he can't read the run. Now this year, he's doing better overall against the run. And he's making his sure tackles. All right, that's a step. The next step, becoming a playmaker. Someone that offenses truly need to worry about where you are because of how you're going to impact the game. Hopefully we see that over the ending course of this year, next year. But that's the trajectory you want from a first round pick. All right, everybody, I am out of here. So, oh, Peter's sneaking in right before the buzzer. It looks like Mason Crosby could be back with the LA Rams. Yes, indeed. The LA Rams signed Mason Crosby to their practice squad today. And he is, uh, the signing was done with the intention of elevating him soon. So, yes, it looks like Mason Crosby is officially going to be back in the NFL, kicking for the Los Angeles Rams.
Thanks so much for joining me here on Lombardi Time Brews. I hope y'all having a great day. Um, I'll be back Friday previewing Packers versus Giants. And then, of course, join us for the watch party next Monday night uh, as we hang out, watch Packers, Giants, Packers continue this climb to the playoffs. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you have a great day. And as always, go Pack Go.